Welcome to Footy Time. My name is Johnny Raff, and I'm joined joined with Daniel Andrews. How are you doing, Dan? Good, thanks, Johnny. Good to be here again. And yeah, it's pretty crazy in the, in the AFL right now. But uh, what better way to you know address some of that than come in here and have a bit of a chat about it? Yeah, it certainly was another crazy round. Round twenty two, only two to go. Plenty of twists and turns, I think, to come in the next uh, eighteen games there are left. I think. And uh, yeah, we're going to dissect some of uh, the action from round 22 as it happened. And well, we've actually got a few more general questions this time around. This is one of yours, Dan, to start with. Would a great player have become a great player if they were at a different club? Like someone like Christian Petrarca. Uh, I was actually thinking someone like Paddy Cripps. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this one, Dan? Yeah, it's just interesting because... You know, these guys come into the AFL, most of them are extremely, you know, highly rated, especially in the top 10. But, you know, what is the difference between someone who sort of just flames out and someone who goes on to become a great of the club? And some guys, you know, hit the ground running and you can sort of see the potentials there and the trajectory is pretty obvious. But then, yeah, maybe someone like Petrarca, it was a bit of a slower burn and, you know, he's grown into the player he is now. So, yeah, I think as a general thing, I'm actually not convinced that, you know, some of the players that are, you know, probably competition leaders would actually be in that same position if they were in a different environment, just that different set of circumstances. It's hard to say that their path would have, you know, gone similarly. So, yeah, maybe this is slightly underplayed just how much the environment and, yeah, probably a range of other factors uh, that go into, you know, a player going to a certain club yeah I don't know what are your thoughts on this yeah look the first thing I thought uh, when I saw this one that you, you put to the show um I thought uh I was thinking of the scenario if Petrarca actually got selected by St Kilda ah yes and that would be a good one I'm just thinking would he be the same player it's it's so hard to know but uh yeah I, I, they were kind of similar clubs at the time of that draft as well really and yeah, I'm not really too sure. I guess um, the other one I was thinking about was, uh, yeah, the 2013 draft. I'm thinking of, uh, say, if um, say if Marcus Bontempelli and Paddy Cripps changed, traded places. Uh, I wonder what would have happened there. It's, it's really, really, yeah, it's fun to think about, but I'm just I'm not so sure. I think I think Cripps has benefited from being the guy yeah. at Carlton and. Yeah, I'm not. It's really hard. It's really hard. I think the only way you can really tell if someone would be better is if uh, I guess the side they came into was ready-made and had a uh, you know a lot of great players around them. Maybe they, maybe it would fast track the development. But uh, yeah, uh, it's a fun one to think about. With Cripps as the example, like he basically he almost won the Rising Star in his first year, but for Hogan kicking. A heap of goals so yeah. I think that's it's probably a bit of a different scenario for, with a player like that I think he would have probably succeeded in most environments whereas mm. if you consider Petrarca it was I don't know how many years like a good four or five years before he started showing uh, anything like the player he is now so you just wonder when it does take a while for them to turn into that player they become if there was a different set of circumstances I don't think there's any guarantee that they actually do turn that corner and you know become that player. Yeah, and everyone's different, I guess. Um, I'm also just thinking, what if someone like Jack Billings 
went to the Bulldogs instead, and uh, Bont went to St Kilda. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's an like would would Billings have benefited more from that environment and uh, playing in a, a flag at a young age, maybe or something like that. And or, then there's the, there's the other side of it, you know, like the first couple of picks usually are going to very lowly clubs at least at the time they're drafted. Like, yes. is that how much is that actually impacting their development and their potential? Like, maybe. You know, if Tom Boyd, I guess he's probably not the best example of it because Bulldogs weren't, uh, well, he didn't go to Bulldogs first, did he? GWS, yeah. GWS. Yeah, so I guess maybe that is a good example because GWS first. Like, if he didn't go to a struggling club, would that have benefited him rather than, you know, having to start your career in such a lowly side, I suppose? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think possibly in his case... It might have been better. Um, but, yeah, I guess these, these number one draft picks, they're just not all created equal, are they? I mean, uh, he sounded a little bit more along the lines of, I guess, the Jack Watts number one pick where they enjoyed playing footy because it was, you know, they like enjoyed sort of playing footy with their mates, whereas, uh, you know, you get the Nick Rewalt number one pick where there's just this intense focus and desire to be the absolute best and... Yeah, I, I guess they're, they're just not all the same. They're yeah. not all the same when it comes down to it. I think you're right. Like, it come, There's more to it than just talent, and it's the guys who can you know, really have that application and drive for it once they're there. Like, once you're at the club, it doesn't really matter where you were drafted, yeah. right? So I think some players will succeed no matter where they go, but then you've probably got another uh, side or another collection of players that would actually do significantly better depending on what type of environment they're in, or maybe they would do significantly worse depending, yeah, just depending how well that environment actually matches up with them as a person and, you know, all the other things that goes into what makes them tick, I suppose. So if a a player has succeeded and become a a superstar like a Paddy Cripps in maybe what's been a questionable environment over time, is that a, do you think that's a a big plus on their career yeah i think it definitely reflects well on them that they were sort of the guy who you know brings them out of that in a way and yeah i suppose he didn't have a lot of help early on his career in in one way in terms of uh that stable environment perhaps so yeah i think it definitely reflects well on the player whereas uh yeah if you're a player that come becomes as good as crips but you know, you, there was more stability around at the start. Perhaps you wouldn't quite get as much credit for that. But I guess it doesn't really matter in the end, like whether you have this, have that or not. Like you're still recognised as a great player. But if you can do it in a team that is really struggling, I think that is another feather in your cap for sure. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we're going to move on now to, I guess, the top four as it stands, or the top eight as it stands. And who do you think are the two most likely sides from outside the top four to do damage in this year's final series and why? Yeah, okay. This this is one I was thinking of a little while ago but hadn't had the chance to come on. But, uh, yeah, I think looking at it now, Carlton, to me, stands out with for obvious reasons. I think they've won eight in a row now. But, mm. yeah, the main reasoning there for me is just the fact that they do have the contested style that I think lines up pretty well with what you'd want to see in finals. And 
they've got some weapons in both their front and back half, I guess, mainly referencing Wietering and Charlie Curnow there. So they played a great game against Melbourne. Wasn't perfect, but it was a highly contested game and they took it up to Melbourne for the whole game. And yeah, I just think if you're looking at whose style outside of the top four matches up with the way I would want a team to be playing finals if, you know, I was really invested in them doing well. That's Carlton for me. Were they in your top two? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And mainly because of the confidence. I think we saw it with Collingwood last year. You know, when you catch the lightning in the bottle like this and everyone's buying in and believing, it, it can be hard to stop. And I find it a bit funny that there's people out there that are saying that Carlton's no chance of winning the flag or, you know, the likelihood of it happening is not high, but there's almost this sense of foolishness when you're riding a team off that's won eight in a row because they've, <laughs> and they've knocked off three top four teams. So it just seems unnecessarily dismissive, even if unlikely. Um, but they've got players to come back. They're playing a much better transition game, I think. Uh, I wouldn't want to be facing them in the finals. Yeah, absolutely. So my second one was Adelaide, actually. So I probably considered Geelong and the Swans in this position as well. But yeah, I think Adelaide's been sort of this nearly team for a lot of the year. They've had some good performances against sort of the top five or six sides, but haven't quite been able to get over the line more often than not. But I think the potential is within them. And even if it doesn't, you know, really eventuate until next year, there's a chance that it could all just click in a big semi-final or a prelim if they get through. I think they're one of these teams who can actually really hurt you. And even though they lost against Brisbane and Melbourne, I think they showed that they could uh, put some hurt on the opposition, score quickly, got plenty of weapons and can win enough ball through the midfield as well. So I think I would be most worried about playing Adelaide uh, out of any of those teams I've listed there. But at the same time, <laughs> you, I wouldn't perhaps be as worried as some other teams just because, you know, they haven't actually broken through for the wins. But to me, the potential's there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they run you off your feet as well. I mean, they, they just really play till that, you know, they, really, they play till the final siren, really. It's a, it's a hard team to play against. Uh, that was a big one, that Brisbane game. I think the, had they pinched that, there would have been some serious shockwaves sent through the final eight. Uh, but I've, I was considering the Crows for this, but I've actually gone with the Swans just because I think when um, they tend to absorb what is thrown at them a lot, the Suns were doing quite a right early, but when the heavy blows are there to be made, they seem to get it done. Uh, they've got that sort of cutting edge and they've got five wins on the trot now and they're proven winners of finals matches. So... I've gone with the Swannies. Yeah, I definitely, yeah. I definitely consider the Swans. I suppose I've just got the lingering doubts about you know some of their contested work and yeah, ha- how whether they'll be able to sort of mix it with the sort of top four teams. But yeah, it's definitely been very impressive turnaround, and it's we've been sort of asking for it all year for some of those middle of the road teams to string some wins together, and uh, yeah, Carlton the Swans have definitely started doing that. So can't ask for too much more. No. No, absolutely not. Uh, the next thing we've got here, oh, ladder predictors. Who finishes where and what are the possible first week matchups, Dan? Uh, 
Yeah, so I'm not one who really loves a ladder predictor, but, you know, we're only a couple yes. of weeks out and <laughs> there's still a lot of possibilities, but, uh, you know, why not have a go at it, right? <laughs> so my top four uh, is based on, you know, obviously selecting the winners in those last couple of rounds. I've got Collingwood finishing first, uh, Port Adelaide slotting into second, uh, Brisbane in third, and Melbourne only having the, the one more win and finishing fourth there. So in the first week of the finals, that would be Collingwood, Melbourne, Interesting. the G, Interesting. and uh, Adelaide hosting Brisbane. It is close, very close to what I had actually. But I suppose that... So um, I had... Well, look, I've got oh, yeah. Melbourne... Go go I had yours. Melbourne winning the last two, but I'm not convinced. I'm not completely convinced. So I've got Collingwood first, Port second, Melbourne third, Brisbane fourth. Uh, I've got a feeling that you may have given Sydney the win against us. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the Swans one is a real 50-50, and it looks like there'll still be a live shot at the finals at that point, and they probably need to win that game unless they can knock yes. Adelaide off this week, I think it is. So, yeah, that, that's a, that'll be a huge game. And, yeah, I guess we'll probably talk about Melbourne a little bit later, but... I think there's definitely some fragility there, as there is for all these teams, really. But, uh, yeah, an interstate win away against a team playing for their finals berth, I think, is definitely not one I can mark down. No, no, and it's, it's the Swans as well, notorious bogey team for Melbourne. So, yeah, that's that's a tough one. And who did you have for the, the rest of the eight? Yeah, so for fifth to eighth, I got I have Carlton in fifth, Geelong slotting into sixth, the Swans in seventh, and Adelaide scraping in uh, there. So, ba- based on those uh, allocations, it was basically twelve wins, forty-eight points, and a good percentage got you in. And I think the Dogs miss out on percentage there, perhaps St Kilda also, and then the Giants and Essendon just below. So that was my. Uh, bottom part of the eight. So I guess that would be Carlson versus Adelaide at the MCG and Geelong hosting the Swans. I'm not sure whether they would get to play that at Cadenia Park or not. But uh, yeah, Geelong have to win their last two. They've got a tricky game against St Kilda and then a game against the Bulldogs at home. So I've got them marked down for both of those, but I'm not that confident. So like, there's so mm. many combinations. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you had something quite different other than Carlton in fifth. I'm guessing you probably got that. Uh, definitely got Carlton in fifth. Uh, had St Kilda sixth. Got Sydney seventh, and the Dogs eighth. Just um, Adelaide ninth. So yeah, that was a. Uh, so you've a... got. Does that mean you've got the Dogs beating Geelong? Uh I have. Hang on. Let's check it again. <laughs> I've got the Dogs beating. The Eagles and yes, yes, I have them yeah. beating Geelong. Mm. Yeah, okay. um, yeah, I just gave them the edge in that by eight points. Yeah, or yeah. Geelong are very unpredictable at the moment. It's probably a nice way of putting it. So <laughs> yeah, and and the Bulldogs best I think can can beat them in that game. Uh, yeah, they you know there's a big gap between the best and the worst at the moment as well. Yeah, there's quite a few fifty fifty games that's going to sort of sort that the bottom of that eight out. But you would think. Like looking at it right now, you would think that 48 points wouldn't be enough, but because there's so many of those games where they play each other, it does look like 48 points and a good percentage is probably going to be enough. Yeah, 
Yeah, it actually does. And it's a very strange situation that we find ourselves in. And it's allowed most of these teams who we thought were gone to make late charges like Sydney and Carlton. So you must be pretty impressed with what St Kilda's been doing lately then? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's impressive to stay in the top six for as long as they have. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's really impressive. It's a big tick for Ross Lyon. And, you know, if they can win a final, it's even better. Um, I'm not totally sold on that, but if they can, it's got to be a pass mark. Yeah, it'll be a huge game against Geelong this Friday night at Marvel, I guess. Yes. The loser of that is basically out. Well, maybe not. I guess St Kilda could win their last round and still make it. That's Brisbane away, I'm pretty sure. So that would be a tall order. But yeah, if, if Geelong lose, they're pretty much gone, I think. so. Yeah, that would be the yeah. last chance to win, I think. There's a lot of uh, these win-or-you're-out scenarios here. Adelaide's in that scenario uh, against Sydney this week, I suppose, as well. So... Yeah, some huge games coming up. Yeah, that's definitely the first big one. Um, yeah, and they're all just going to come thick and fast after that. Okay, so we'll move on to the next one. And it is... Look, I wasn't I wasn't going to do this one. just thought we might be pressed for time, but I'm actually kind of keen to hear what you think. Uh, we've had some fantastic games over the last month, and which one's been your favourite, Dan, and why? When I came up with this question, I was thinking I was going to choose a non-Melbourne game, but looking back through the games, um, I guess I actually do want to choose a Melbourne game, so I will. Yes. <laughs> it was actually, funnily enough, the uh, Richmond-Melbourne game. Yeah. I don't know. There was just something about that game. Like, you know, Richmond really aren't at their best now, and maybe the fact that Melbourne, they ran Melbourne so close sort of says more about Melbourne than it does about Richmond, although I think they've lost a few guys in recent weeks that they had playing yeah. that day. But that first half was just crazy. They're just landing blows on each other, super attacking, uh, some great plays. And then, you know, when the game is there to be won, Max Gorn just goes to a superhuman yeah. level and uh, separates the contest. Melbourne, you know, put on what is it, last five goals or something. So just for, you know, the moments, the momentum, the scoring, the attack from both teams. It was fantastic. I loved it. Yep, yep. Uh, me too. I think that was a it was a really good game of footy to watch that one. Um I, I've gotta go with the um I've gotta go with the Port and Collingwood one though. I think that was that was probably the game of the year, I think for me. Uh yeah, finals atmosphere, some big time plays, Jamie Elliott kicking those two goals and uh, the Dacos boys, yeah, that was a that was a big big Saturday night Saturday night game. That one, draining another one from the boundary to get them over the line there in yep. the last minute or so. <laughs> yeah, oh, I was fantastic, fantastic. And I'm, yeah, look, it was not. So should Port have won that game? Like you know, Collingwood keeps getting out of jail here. Should they have been further up, or Collingwood didn't? Yeah, up? look, I think expected scores they were probably a bit of a, a bit ahead. Uh, they should have been had a few more goals on the board, but. Uh, yeah, I just also came away from that game wondering if Port do have what it takes in those key moments. Uh, yeah, I wasn't totally sure if they could pull it off in the finals if that happens again. So, And that was the start know. of their three-game losing streak as well, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was, yeah. Or did they yeah. lose to Carlton the week before that? I can't remember. No, no, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah it was Carlton. So Carlton, Collingwood, and then they lost the next week as well. Yes, to, but, you know, they're back on track now, so... <laughs> Yeah, so we'll see see how they go. Um, all right, this is another good one. 
so this is one of yours as well, Dan. Uh, if someone gave you a thousand dollars to bet on the premier right now, how would you split this thousand, or would you even split it? So I'm, I'm guessing like you've got a thousand dollars to make as many or as little bets as you want, yeah? yeah? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess what made me start thinking about this one was just the fact that like every week in the AFL at the moment, it just seems like things just sort of blow up and it looks completely different from week to week. So maybe, you know, it's a bit of a fool's errand looking at it from a week-to-week perspective, taking the, you know, larger uh, chunks of the season to actually look at what's happening is maybe a better way to do it. But it just looks really open at the moment. You know, Collingwood have got a lot of injuries. Uh, Yeah, it does. All the top teams teams have a few issues, whether it be injury or form or a combination of both. And, yeah, then below that, it's very even. And then you've got Carlton that throw a spanner in the works as well. So, yeah, I guess I came up with this question as a way of just thinking a bit about what the state of play is. So... Yeah, I'm not going to go with dollar amounts, but, you know, that 1000 I'm just going to sort of divide it up by percentages. So I would be putting 40% of my money, so I guess that would be $400 on Collingwood. So they they get the, the 40%. Then I've got Melbourne and Brisbane both on uh, 20%, so $200 each there. Really, Melbourne, just because they've done it before, they have shown some signs this year. But, yeah, yeah. We'll talk more about Melbourne later, so I won't get into that yes. now. <laughs> I think <laughs> Br- Brisbane have sh- improved a lot, and we've sort of talked about that a little bit. They're attacking flair, and they've got a bit more defensive solidity. If they can knock Collingwood off this week, then that percentage will go up a little bit, I think, because yep. there'll be odds on to get top two. But I still I like what I've seen from Brisbane. I'll give Port 15% just based on the fact that they have won so many throughout the year, and... Uh, May very well get a home final, but I still think they're a runoff the other three. And there's only 5% left, so what's yeah. that? I'll throw 50 bucks on Carlton as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, nicely done, nicely done. Um, mine's not too dissimilar, although I'm going to go 35% on Collingwood. Uh, going to go... I'm going to go 25% on Melbourne. Uh, I just think that yeah, their their method does sort of stack up and they've shown that they can play a few different ways as well. So I'm I'm not sure. I think they've kept their powder dry on a few things. So yeah, and they've been there before. So I'll go 25% for Melbourne. 20% I'm going to give to Brisbane. So what's that put us at? That puts us at... Yeah, 20% for Brisbane. Uh, and the reason why Brisbane have given 5% less, I just think that their lack of pace could get shown up a bit in the midfield come finals time. Uh, the Will Ashcroft injury was it was a really big one, I think, for them. And mm, he yeah. was really giving them something through there. And they've just had to pinch hit a few guys through there to, to make up for it. And look, they, they kind of got found out a little bit against Adelaide in that area. I thought Adelaide were really just running them ragged and look they had the answers that's all that matters but uh i think there's definitely uh there is a weakness there that can be exploited if um you know if teams choose like collingwood could easily exploit it if they want to um but yeah look ultimately i've really been impressed with what the lions can offer still probably the most potent attack 
Uh, Port have gone fifteen percent. Uh, yeah, look, for me, it all just comes down to that first week with Port. If they win that first final, they might be as good a chance as anyone. If they lose that first final, then you're going to hear the people who come out and say, "Oh, it's the chokers," and yeah, they just don't get it done when it matters. And it's going to be big. I remember last year for Geelong, it was a big deal that first week in the finals, and I don't think there'll be any. There won't be heat on any team more than Port, I think, in that first week. And look, 5%. I'm going to go 3% for Carlton <laughs> and 2% for the Swans, if they're okay. Yes. Yeah. So we're not giving much credit to those finishing outside the top four. <laughs> not quite, not quite. I, I think that there's some, I think there's teams that can take a scalp and win in their first week in the elimination yeah. final, but uh, I just don't think you can go all the way uh, from outside top four. Uh, yeah, look, you could give Carlton like a, a puncher's chance of getting through to a prelim or, or possibly, who knows, possibly more. But uh, yeah, it's it's just shown, it's, it's time and time again, it's just been proven that it's extremely difficult. Yeah, absolutely. It's not something you'd bet on coming from outside the top four. And I think when I had originally thought of this question, I was thinking the Bulldogs would probably be, you know, in with the shot as someone outside the top yeah. four just from what they've done before. But, yeah, they've really fallen off in the last few weeks. So Yeah. And they just can't seem to settle on the right lineups as well. So I think you need some things working with a lot of, you know, synergy at this point of the season. And I just think there's, there's just that little bit lacking with the yep. dogs right now here. So do you think the Bulldogs would be better off scraping into finals or missing altogether? Oh, wow. Yeah, good question. <laughs> uh, I think with the dogs, it's always good. I think it's it's good for them to be in the finals because they've, they've just got this history of, you know, causing upsets and, Doing well when their back's against the wall in finals, and I, I, I would prefer to see them in. But I kind of, I think I know what you're getting at. If they were to miss finals, would all the cracks be laid bare? And you know, Luke Beveridge might actually be under pressure and to make some hard decisions. Maybe, maybe in the long run, maybe. Yeah, I can see a case for that. Yeah, it is tricky. I, I think you're right. Like. Obviously, everyone wants to make finals, but maybe for the next three or four years, it actually might be better for them to miss. I know that would be hard to hear as a Bulldog supporter, and you would never choose that as a supporter. But yeah, it's just been chugging along for so long without really that much meaningful change. And yeah, they've been doing very well in some areas lately. Like They're winning a lot of... um, they're winning a lot of stoppages. They're yeah. winning a lot of the ball, but it just somehow doesn't translate to actually being able to score or you know get much advantage and where it matters most, which is the scoreboard. Yeah, and their forward line, you would think, is it should be one of the better ones in the competition, but for whatever reason, they just can't get Norton and Ugalhagen and Lob clicking together. Or it's almost like they've got too many options there. So. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see where they finish and what that means for their for their off season. So, what about Port? Let's just cover off on them a little bit. Like thinking about this team they have now, maybe comparing back to 
you know, like say 2020 where they, I know it's a little way back now, but yeah. you know, they finish on top of the ladder. They get the home prelim against Richmond and they run them all the way, basically yes. lose by a kick. How does that team compare to this team? Do you think? Yeah. Interesting one. Well, look, it got a much more balanced midfield now. I think a lot of the midfield minutes were going to, you know, Boken Wines back then, but you've got some great grunt and, you know, talent, skill through the middle now. So that's that's one thing I think is better now with Port. I think the mid, midfield is a lot more balanced and just has a lot more strings to the bow. But I, I do wonder if their back line was slightly better back then. I, I, think, I still think that that's a suspect area for Port. And... Um, they don't really sort of have that gorilla handler full back. And they do, they've do. they got some absolute stars that they've unearthed, like uh, Bergman's fantastic. Uh, Horn Francis has obviously come, you know, he's, he's tracking well. And they've made some good inclusions up forward, I think. some Probably some more consistent small forwards. I think Rioli's a more consistent uh, contributor than some of the others they've had in the past there. It's a, that's a really good question. I actually don't know which team is better. Um, I would just give this one the edge because of the midfield that they've currently got. But yeah, I'm not not totally sure. What do you reckon? Yeah, it's interesting because that team in 2020 won more games. But I think like across the park, this one probably has more talent, but also maybe... The, there is a more glaring weakness as well with the back line. So mm. I guess, you know, f- big finals often do show up your your glaring weaknesses. Yes. So that could be that could be an issue. But uh, yeah, I think the way they have been able to refresh, it shouldn't be, you know, like a one-year thing, which it kind of is every year with Port at the moment. But yeah. I think it's looking a little bit brighter, even if things don't pan out. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, are people really expecting a lot from Port in this final series? I think like if they made a prelim, that would probably be quite a good result from where they've been. And Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, we talked about that, didn't we? It sounds like maybe they are going to re-sign him before it's all over, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you'd think so. You'd think so. But um, yeah, look, they're, they're an interesting one. They're really, really interesting. Well, uh, we'll put it to you then, like, what would be a pass mark for you for Port in this coming final series, assuming they finish, let's just say for the sake of this argument, they finish third rather than second. What's the pass mark? Do they finish third rather than second? Hmm. Yeah, I'd say prelim would be the bare minimum. Uh, because, you know, even if they do finish third, you've you got to win finals on the road you, you, at some point, I think, in that position, you know. They've got to show that they can come to the MCG and do it, it will, to wherever they go. But preferably the MCG, the grand final is going to be played there. So, <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I think that in Adelaide, I reckon they're expecting big things. Mm. I feel like they are. I don't know, but yeah, as you said, I don't know about the rest of the country, but I feel like over there, they're, yeah, they're, they're upbeat, but there's also the naysayers who are waiting for it to fall over so they can... Yeah, get their get the knives out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's a bit of both. Bit of both. All right, we've got one more to go, Dan, and that is well, it's our team, the D's, and <laughs> it's uh, titled "The Petty Problem." 
So will the forward line issues at Melbourne be their undoing in 2023? Mm. Well, it's kind of been the never-ending story with Melbourne this year, the number of different forward structures they've tried. And, you know, it all seemed to be clicking, but, you know, it was a small sample. You had Van Royen doing his thing and Petty contesting and he found a way to slot a few goals it was all working and then you know you get the Liz Frank to Petty and it's all thrown up in the air and yeah I think I wasn't alone really being quite worried about this just because of the depth of in that position that Melbourne has is I would say is quite limited especially at the moment with a few injuries as well Mm. even when Tom McDonald's you know been around this year, he hasn't really done much, and he's coming back from an injury. Ben Brown struggles to stay out there. Yeah, there's just there's just not that much there. Like, and no. I I really think like going back the last few years, anytime Melbourne hasn't really had the two tools, it just doesn't really work with their sort of kicking long down the line style, no. being able to get a contest and then like sort of spread from there. And if it does work, it's very short lived. Yeah, like I remember games where they were sort of trying to play Fritch in that role and he was just sort of, it just wasn't working like at all. Like Fritch is no. a good forward, but he can't really play as that traditional tall forward. So yeah, it's just so frustrating because yes. it looked like they had sort of fixed it. And then, you know, obviously every team gets injuries, but I don't know. I just sort of feel like with Melbourne, the whole, you know, getting to second it almost sort of feels like a little bit of a mirage just because, you know, that was off mm. the back of quite a lot of close results and they were playing well in those games. But I'm just not sure that they their top level is as high as they would want it to be right now. And this just sort of adds insult to injury in the one area that it feels like can't be fixed. Yeah. Not really being very upbeat here. No. But yeah. <laughs> well... I don't, it's, it's not all doom and gloom, but... I think, yeah, if if there was going to be any injury that would really throw things out of kilter, it seems like this is the one and it's they're going to be doing well to fix it, I think. Yeah, well, um, yeah, if anyone was hoping for me to sort of wash away the doom and gloom, you might be a little <laughs> bit disappointed because, yeah, honestly, like straight off the bat, I, I think it could be the difference. I mean, as soon as it happened last week in the North game, oh, the deflating feeling I had straight away. I just, I actually didn't really pay much attention to the rest of the game. I just thought, oh, that better not be bad. That better not be bad. Better not be bad. Yeah, it was just, um, yeah, it, it, it was really clicking. It was really clicking having Petty there, just his ability to compete in the air. He's reading the play in the air as well. And the way he kind of sets his feet in the marking contest, he was. He knows exactly where to position himself in a marking contest. Uh, we saw it a lot against Richmond, where some of these kicks in were long, and he was just he was just clunking him. Uh, it's because his positioning is is right there. That's really really hard to teach to, you know, a Brody Grundy or someone who's trying to to play forward. And like you said, as soon as Petty went down, I was you know I was pretty depressed. I thought none of these none of these options are filling me with confidence that they can do what we need them to do. Uh, that we can have a um, well, a that we can have a forward line that was moving like JVR and uh, and Petty. They were really sort of leading and pulling defenders out of position. It was it was a it wasn't a stationary forward line. I was really enjoying it. Um, I'm not convinced that 
guys like Grundy and you know Gorn when he's down there or Joel Smith. Those guys don't really have that sort of crafty movement. Um, and then you've got the, uh, I guess, the bullocking forward, the one that sort of brings the ball to ground. And that, you know, Grundy, they tried that on Saturday night and that didn't work either. And there's a bit of a difference as well between, I know a lot of people say we need a forward that gets the ball to ground. There's forwards that can do that, but it's also, it's the certain way that you do it, like bringing it down front and square and that for small forwards and repeat stoppages and things like that. And yeah, uh, I totally agree with you. I think that if they can solve this issue, then yeah, they deserve a, a big feather in the cap because yeah, I just, Oh yeah. It, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. There's going to be games like Saturday night where you need to, to go direct and kick long balls into the 50 and, and have that presence. And yeah. I wasn't too convinced of it. Yeah. Melbourne is still playing, you know, a contested game style. They still rely on going long down the line a portion of the time. Yep. And if you don't have that tall forward there to actually make the contest, and even if you win that, if you don't have someone tall to kick it to in the next kick, it, it the whole thing just, the whole structure just gets out of whack. And yeah. it it's just makes it really difficult. Like, even if the tall forward isn't being a world beater. It just makes such a difference. Like even those couple of games when Ben Brown was playing and he wasn't actually touching it much, but I think the structure was a lot better. So yeah. Like, and he doesn't do it too badly. He's not a brilliant sort of bring the ball to ground forward, but he's not bad at it if he has to. Yeah. I Like the only thing I can really see with what they have to offer in terms of what's left, it's basically Grundy, Smith, Tom McDonald. And I think you can, almost put a line through Ben Brown at the moment if he just he just seems to yeah. like he can't get out there at the moment. Like it, I think really the only potential solution that might actually work is getting Tom McDonald in there in whatever form he can and basic it's a, it's almost I wouldn't say like he's a decoy forward but you're not really expecting him necessarily to kick goals but just mm. actually get, having someone to make position that's get in it. the right spots to actually give you structure in the right parts of the ground. Like that might be as much as Melbourne can get out of this position. And that might actually be enough in a way. Like obviously you're going to have to make Maybe. up for it in other ways. But I think that th- that version would be an advance on trying to, you know, have a resting Ruckman playing as your second tool. Or maybe, you know, Joel Smith who is undersized for that role. That might be yes. as good as we can do. And I don't know how far away Tom McDonald is. And like I said earlier, like he didn't exactly inspire you with confidence earlier in the year. I think I called him the invisible man at one point. But yeah. I think like that's the only thing I can actually picture in my mind that could actually potentially work. And like I'm not by work I'm saying it still wouldn't work anywhere near as well as if it was petty, but, but it'll give it might something. be it might be a break-even option rather than, like, a net negative. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, look, oh, I've thought this too. Uh, he actually played for Casey yesterday. I saw a little bit of it. Uh, I don't, like, I, w- I wouldn't say he was in great nick. I, I he might have <laughs> been He might have been okay. I just, I wouldn't say he was ready to be recalled kind of thing. I, I, I do have my doubts of, over whether he can still move as well as he could. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, but 
if if there's any chance of him getting in, it would be great to be great to see what he can do one more time. But yeah, you're right. We, we really just need to sort of um, split the difference a bit in that area. We just need someone who can give us something, even if it's just a, a two out of ten, you know, <laughs> win the position rather than a zero out of ten that we're currently getting. Um, yeah. Like the absolute wild card option would be, and they would absolutely never do this, but I think in theory, like if you were just playing football, like as a computer game or on paper, this is, might be the thing that would actually work the best, but it's also probably the most dangerous. Can, can you have a guess what I might have? I have, I've, I've got two things in mind that I feel like you're going to say. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Stephen May used to get yeah. a few goals for the Suns. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought, I thought May or I thought maybe Adam Tomlinson. <laughs> Yeah, like I think May has shown over the journey that he can take a mark as a forward. I I don't know, know exactly how he can do some of those other things we've talked about with the structure, but I think yeah, by doing that, they're sort of throwing everything up in the air at the you other end kick of the a ground set as well. Shot. Yeah, you can definitely kick a set shot. Yeah, like like if if the coaches truly believe that you know this is a deal breaker and you know it's not going to work without a functional forward, then you know they they have the player. Yeah. Who could do it, but how much do you want to disrupt things? Like, I I can't imagine they would do that, but they and do even have a player less who could so do it. With Petty out, even less so because it kind of robs us of two things in a way. Yeah, yeah. And like, you wouldn't even expect May to do as well as Petty did, but like, I think you would. I would expect him to be able to play that role better than the other guys we've been talking about. I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's. It was just a yeah, very untimely injury, and <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it uh, it's asking a lot of Van Royen at the moment as well because he he is oh, I love watching him play. He's physical and he's got great second efforts, but uh, you know, coming into finals, you know, his first season, it's yeah, we've got to find that that other option really. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've been I've been super impressed by Van Royen, his capacity to either you know judge the drop of the ball, mark it on the chest, nope. jump up on the pack, get get the leap going. What Everything he's been doing, he's been doing to a good level. But, you know, he's a second-year player. There's only so much one person can do. So, yeah, it's, it's unfair to expect him to, I guess, carry any more of the load than he's already carrying. Like, I think he's already sort of maxing out what we yeah. can expect of him, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, it was an insane game. Finals like atmosphere. Uh, Carlton came out and had something like a 224 pressure rating for the first quarter. That's just absolutely nuts. And yeah, I think most of the games they probably would have been a few more goals up at quarter time. Uh, they came to play though, didn't they, Dan? Yeah, funnily enough, uh, I was sitting in the members at the bottom there and the ball was basically locked in Carlton's 50 for most of the quarter. And most of the play was right in front of us, which was kind of strange. Like often, you know, when you're sitting at a ground, the play is away from you most of the time. But yeah, that was just a little aside. But yeah, they're doing fantastically well to lock it in there. And there were a few very close run things. I think Melbourne were probably lucky not to be another two or three goals down. But at the same time, they did hold up pretty well considering they had so many d50 stoppages there to defend but yeah carlton definitely looking the goods early and uh it was a little bit slick so the ball handling was tricky but uh yeah great start for carlton there yeah and the start of the fourth quarter really that kind of sealed the deal in a way uh that those 
those clearances out of the middle and the three goals to start with, I just that was always going to be hard to come back from. And yeah, I, it's the question on everyone's lips. Dan, uh, was it touched? Uh, does like, it matter? <laughs> well, it it yeah, I don't know. It does and it doesn't. Like literally at the game, no one around me like. Or people I heard talking, like, as I was leaving the ground, both Melbourne and Carlton supporters, literally not one person was saying it was touched, even Carlton supporters. And I'm sure, like, there are some Carlton supporters who would say it's touched. But there was no doubt from anyone at the ground. I think the only person who thought it was touched was the goal umpire. And my, my personal opinion... Is I think he wasn't sure, and he guessed that. That's what I think actually happened, and I think that is a broken system. Yeah. Because essentially, if something has or hasn't been touched, like I think we have to assume that it hasn't been touched. Like there has yeah. to be evidence to say it's been touched. It's, it to me, it's kind of like if you're batting in cricket, you assume the batter hasn't hit it. There has to be evidence to say it has been hit. Like this. Yes. As you go back through the years, like how many goals would have been touched off the boot and it was called a goal? There would be more than you can count. So to me, we need a system that says unless there is, then unless you are sure it has been touched or, you know, whatever you want to use, if unless you are confident it has been touched, it hasn't been touched. Then like, okay, the umpire, or even if they had the system of, okay, the umpire is not sure, let's go to the video. Because, you know, if it was couple of things here. If the soft call was a goal, it definitely would have been a goal. And oh, even yeah. if there yeah. was no soft call, I am pretty confident that they would have said it was a goal. So the idea that, you know, the uh, the decision swings on basically the umpire having some doubt and basically maybe, it, you know, it comes down to they don't want to call it a goal because, you know, they don't want that on them. They So they make the lesser call because they're not sure. Like it... It just doesn't yeah. quite add up to me. Well, um, yeah, yeah it's, where do I start with this? Um, <laughs> look, the, the Carlton fans around me, because I was actually, yeah, I was MCC as well and level one, but um, yeah, there were there, there were some Carlton fans around me that was saying, oh, it was touched. But, like, I think it was just more like uh, the heat of the moment, like, no, 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 anything yeah. that we can do there. Um, as soon as they announced the soft call, I just sat, back down i thought yeah there's no way they'll overturn it yeah but i i do agree if the goal umpire had caught a goal there's no way they would have overturned that either um but like even just like the actual replay like how definitive does it have to be like i to me it showed there was a gap like was it absolutely 100 percent that he hadn't touched it probably not but like you're not really gonna get one that you're going to be able to overturn more than that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, look, it was a, a very good, uh, it was a very good case. Very good case. <laughs> um, and had it have been paid a goal, you, you'd be reaching to try and find that that was touched in the replay to overturn it. Like probably yeah. more so. Um, but yeah, look, like you were saying about the, the umpire's call to take that away would be good because it, this has just put too much, pressure now on that guy like it, it doesn't deserve all this heat you know it, it would have been great if they could have just yeah let's, okay we're, we're referring this to the video straight away kind of thing yeah like uh, why can't the umpire just say i'm not sure if it was touched can you 
see if there's any evidence to say it was touched. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't see a problem with that. But, but this is what I don't understand. Like, if he's called touched, who decides that he wasn't sure? Or who decides? Is, is it the field umpire going, hmm, they don't quite believe you. Let's go to the video. No, no. Or is the goal umpire saying, I think it was touched, but I'm not sure. Is it? Do you, yeah, like, no, it's the goal umpire. He calls to re- for the review. So he's saying, he's basically saying, you know, either I think it was touched or it could have been touched and now we do the review. So, like, it seems oh, yeah. like this, the soft signal has way too much power in this, especially no, just silly, yeah. when it's, like, I don't know. I think, like, if, if I was in charge of this, and, like, I would have, I know it sort of seems a bit biased because it's Melbourne, but I would actually have this opinion even if it was the other way around. Like, if so, this had yeah, happened to absolutely. Carlton, I, I think you have to have the system that you assume it hasn't been touched because you have to prove that it's been touched. If you can't say it's been touched 100%, then it hasn't been touched. Like, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. And I think, just on following on from that, I think uh, in order to call it touched, I reckon there's got to be some clear deviation. Uh, I reckon if it's if the ball's like on the same trajectory, then that's insufficient and it should just yeah. be a goal. Like, uh, and, uh, Or fingers yeah. bent back, by the way, that's not definitive either. Like, uh, I reckon... I wouldn't be surprised if players are bending their fingers back a little fingers. bit like, to try and – if it gets oh, – okay, it's a bit of conspiracy <laughs> yeah, theory. Yeah, but like, funny. I don't know. Look, it's – people get a little bit sucked into, I think, what they think is definitive. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. Look, I don't know. But maybe in that pressure moment, the goal umpire, who knows? Like, it's a snap decision. Uh, I didn't see any other Carlton player appealing for it other than Marchbank. So now I know Marchbank's obviously the one closest and the one who possibly touched it. So the others may not have seen it, but they didn't seem all that uh, all that yeah. certain. And I think even it's a Marchbank bit like an appeal, didn't, you know. Yeah, it didn't seem like he was that confident either. Like I, I don't know. Yeah, it was just it was just a weird thing. Like that was that happened right in front of me, basically. Well, not yeah. not the actual goal, but you know, Petrarca getting the kickoff. Yeah, same. I don't know, like. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just not, one of those yeah, things. Like, look, like, yeah. it's not why we lost. Uh, I think well, I do think Carlton <laughs> was a better side on the night. But yeah, um, could, we would have pinched it. But yeah, it's just it's disappointing that the AFL doesn't have a better way of dealing as with a these spectacle. Sort of things. Yeah. As a spectacle, like, it's it's not helping the spectacle. Yeah, like I love that last quarter. It was fantastic. Like, oh yeah, yep. Carlton playing a great level. It was a great game, and like for it to be tarnished by this was was disappointing. Like. I was trying really hard to, you know, feel good about what I'd just seen. And I still do. And, like, yeah. it was a great game to be Very at. Very good game. Very good just, game. Just for it, I guess it's just, it plants that seed of doubt in your mind that, like, this could happen basically to any team at any point. Like, yeah. if you're if you're in the situation where you're within a goal, essentially it can be taken away from you for essentially something that is completely out of your control and like you know I well, said it, did. In our, it happened to Tom yeah. Lynch last year <laughs> <laughs> like I said in our message thread like the only redeeming factor is that it wasn't a final basically <laughs> yeah but, but like, it could easily yeah. happen in the final yeah and like the ramifications are huge I guess top two is more or less off the table for Melbourne now and you know yeah. like I don't know it just feels like this kind of this fragility with Melbourne at the moment like that they're, they're still playing relatively well and I think they put in a serviceable performance against Carlton. The pressure was high and I yeah. quite liked some of their link-up play. But just this whole thing with the forward line, everything just sort of feels like 
it's about to break and maybe that's a little bit unfair, but just these little things that go against you, it just magnifies it, I suppose. Yeah, it does. And look, some of these injuries, where they've happened, Max earlier in the year, Clayton Oliver, and the petty one I thought hurt the most of all, but it's just this, oh, and Bradley Fritch, obviously, they've done very well without these key personnel figures and, you just wonder, like, <laughs> at what point does it catch up? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like, it's far from a basket case. They're still, what are they sitting in third at the moment? Or I think it might have slipped down to fourth. It's fourth, yeah. One ga- they only need one game more to solidify top four. But, yeah, I, like, I just get the feeling, like, none of this is really going to matter if they can't manufacture something that is somewhat serviceable with that second tour. Like, you know, yep. Grundy tried his heart out, but it didn't work. So it didn't like, work. Are they, are they going to persist with that for another week? I don't know. Like, And the other problem is, like, having... not Either not having that extra tool there or, you know, having someone who's sort of underperforming. If you're relying on putting Van Royen in the ruck for, you know, five or six minutes a quarter then that has a compounding effect too. Like, there's so many yes. knock-on effects. There's a lot of knock-ons, this. yeah. It's just, it's really tricky. Like, I guess, yeah, like we sort of talked about, I think the best-case scenario is that Tom McDonald comes in and can make a contest and, you know, get to the right spots. And I think that's probably the best we can hope for, which is kind of sad in a way that, you know, that's what we're calling a pass mark. Yep, yep. Look... Yeah, it's a tough night, but well done to Carlton. They, they were fantastic. They, like, their pressure was amazing. Melbourne's pressure was okay, I thought. Yeah, but uh, look, theirs was off the charts, especially in that first quarter. How did Just quickly, how did you see the uh, May versus Kerno battle, which was quite interesting? Well, yeah, it was a very good battle. Uh, I, I, thought May, I thought May held his own. Like, Kerno is capable of, of coming you know, to the fore and coming up with those big plays with, I guess, Limited possessions, but oh, I thought for the most part, mate did a good job. Yeah, I think Kerno got off the leash a couple of times early in sort of the first half, getting a bit of space. But after that, May would seem to be playing him much closer. Maybe yeah. he just lost him a couple of times, but yeah, there were quite a few sort of really close one on ones, and May did pretty well to halve most of those. So yeah, I think yeah. Uh, pretty even overall. Kerno kicked what two or three goals? I think it was two, but uh, yes. And yes, then to sir. have that guy though, to have Charlie Kerno, it's it's the it's the uh, the antithesis of us without Petty, you know. It's like we, yeah, just to have that guy, you can sort of bang it in, and you know he'll give you half a chance to take a nice contested mark. It's just what we're missing, and yeah. So what impressed you most about Carlton? Yeah, I, I think it was just the the pressure, the, the desire. They obviously they buy into their game plan at the moment. Uh, they're playing a better transition game, I think. Uh, Smash us in the uncontested possession, I noticed. Yeah, absolutely smashed the uncontested possession. And yeah, I think that they, they're moving it a lot better from the, sort of the back flank area and uh, scores from turnovers from the pressure, I think, was, was they actually had 33 points scores from turnover. It's not bad. Like, they scored 60 for the game. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how sustainable it is. Uh, they did actually, to my eye, look like they were getting a bit tired towards the end of the third and fourth quarters. Mm, yeah. Uh, the three-quarter time actually came at a pretty good time, I thought. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Really, Melbourne sort of dominated the last sort of five or ten minutes of the third and couldn't put a lot of score on the board. And then, yeah, leaked those goals at the start. But yeah, it made for a good finish, I suppose. But uh, yeah, what about sorry, what about the Melbourne side of things? Like, uh, did anything impress you about them other than their ability to sort of to hang in there? Yeah, I got to say that the fight back ability did actually impress me. Look, it could have gone completely by the wayside, but they've shown this ability to fight until the end at the moment, you know, the Brisbane game, uh, this, you know, a few other games like this. Uh, yeah, no, they, they, they've they built a bit of a never-say-die attitude and they've got some big-time performers now. I mean, it's those goals from Cozzy and, uh, and, and well, you know, Petrarca, you know, didn't, didn't count, but uh, they've got some guys who can make that play happen when you need it. So... Yeah, Once look, they did find a bit of space, they linked up really quite nicely. It didn't happen a heap, but the uh, the disposal and uh, yeah, just ability to get it onto someone in space, that was quite impressive it, in the slick conditions. I don't know exactly know how wet it was because I think it would have dried up a little bit throughout mm. the night. But yeah, they did look pretty good in transition, although uh, I guess the transition opportunities were a little bit limited with the way Carlton was sort of able to lock it in their front half. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. So there are some things that I think when we do look a bit one-dimensional when we're going long into the 50, I think that our disposal around the wings and the middle needs to be cleaned up. I'm wondering if maybe Charlie Spargo comes back in this week. But uh, look, yeah, they, they didn't lie down and I took something out of that. I thought, yeah, look, that's, that's not bad. That's not bad because it was a tough game to score in. Yeah, I think, like, I guess some people would have been pretty down on the first half but because it was so low scoring, but I actually found it pretty enjoyable. Just yeah, no, I did two too. teams yeah. going at each other's throats and just not giving an inch. And, uh, you know, when someone finally did break through, then it was variably, invariably something pretty impressive. Yeah, no, it was a finals-like game, I thought. Uh, just, yeah, especially that last five minutes, just relentless. Yes. Um, anyway, Dan... That is the end uh, of our show today. Uh, thanks for jumping on. Great fun. Always good to talk about Melbourne, both the good and the bad, and a few other things <laughs> thrown in there as well. Of course, these next two weeks, oh boy, it's going to be twist and turn central. We'll be keeping our eyes on every single game, I think, and live ladders and all that. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be uh, riding every bump, and we'll be here to talk about it next week on Footy Time. Uh yeah, make sure you uh, send any feedback to footytimelive at gmail.com. And yeah, we'll see you then. Bye for now.